Welcome to Faith City Outreach, where your host, Marina Maria, reaches out to the world to discuss Christian topics and providing biblical solutions, as well as praying for the nations. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The music in this broadcast is provided courtesy of Zapsplat.com. Now, here's your host, Marina Maria. Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Marissa Hamilton, a nonpartisan candidate, mayor of Phoenix, from Phoenix, Arizona. Marissa is running for election for mayor of Phoenix in Arizona. She is on the ballot in general election on November 3rd, 2020. Thank you so much, Marissa, for being on Faith City Outreach to share your testimony and how the Lord led you to politics. Thank you so much for having me. Marissa, please share your salvation story before we discuss the sphere of influence that God has placed you in at the present time. Well, my mom actually raised me to um, have a strong faith in God. Um, I was raised in a very um, progressive, a a very protective religion that was very controlling. Um, And it was much more about religion than having a personal relationship with God. And, um, but my mom made sure that she taught me from a very young age to connect directly with God and to be able to pray and sing and just have joy in, um, celebrating our Lord everywhere. And I remember just even as a child being in the woods, um, I would want to go up ahead of my family and be able to, um, I'd skip in the woods and, and start making up songs and just singing praises to God and just enjoying his creation. And, and so having that close relationship, um, with our heavenly father from a very young age was, is something that, uh, kept me strong during trying times um, as I became older because my family life wasn't wasn't the greatest. There was a lot of abuse. Um, but through it all, I was able to walk through it um, with with faith and be able to overcome all of that. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Bristol, Connecticut. And um, I have my family's from Staten Island, New York. Both my parents are born and raised there. And so I spent most of my time in that northeast area of New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. Um, but I, I was raised in Bristol. My grandparents, though, they retired here in Arizona. And so I would spend the summers here as a child. And um, Arizona was always really close to my heart. My culture was really uh, developed here, my principles, my values. And, um, I, and I remember, you know, when I got a little older as a child, I would uh, be horseback riding and riding my bike through the little hills of, of Chino Valley and Prescott, Arizona. And, and so right after I graduated, I came here to Arizona to have it be my home. So how long have you been here in Arizona? I've been here about 20 years now. Wow. That's a good amount of time. Yes. Who impacted you the most, impacted you the most in your spiritual walk with the Lord as you were growing up? It would absolutely be my mom. Um, My mom has always had such a strong relationship with God, and she always put that relationship first. And she went through some very trying times. And, um, and I watched her overcome domestic violence and some other very horrible things. Um, but she never lost her faith. She always mm-hmm. moved forward in her faith. And, um, and that was very inspiring to me um, because I would see her take um, risks, well-reasoned risks, 
um, to move our life forward, um, for us to be able to have a good life and, and have a good foundation for our future. And she just, she sacrificed so much for us. And so she's always been a huge inspiration to me. And is she still an inspiration to you today? Oh, absolutely. She's one of my biggest cheerleaders. <laughs> so she's in Florida now. And uh, and she actually was a big inspiration for me to run um, because it was, um, it was just a very terrible situation to be so far from her during such a crisis, not be allowed to go visit her. Mm-hmm. Um, but more so she's had, she's disabled and she's had a lot of health issues. And there was a moment that was very scary because, um, as, as all the States were in lockdown, my mom wasn't allowed to go to any of her doctor appointments. They were considered non-essential. And, um, she had an underlying health condition that was escalating. She was in a lot of pain, but she's often in a lot of pain. And so she was just not going to the doctors like they told her not to. And they kept pushing out her appointments and pushing out her appointments. Eventually she had to be rushed to the emergency room and they found out that she would have passed away within two hours if she hadn't gotten there. And, um, and so it really brought the whole pandemic, um, front and center for me to see Mm -hmm. that the response that government was having Mm -hmm. was so disastrous for so many people. Um, As a survivor of domestic violence myself, that was one of the first fallouts was um, people trying to flee from domestic violence. Imagine you are trapped with your abuser and now your job is gone, your business is gone, there's no economic opportunity, and your government is saying, stay home, it's the safest place for you to be. And it's actually the most dangerous place for you and your children. And so, um, I, looking at the, at my, my personal history, but also those that I've advocated for, um, I just thought that the entire response by government, um, especially when they said that church is not essential in many cities and states, um, was absolutely the wrong approach to take. And we're seeing the disastrous outcomes from that now. Um, and those outcomes are going to be things that we struggle with for many years from now. It's, you know, it's not a situation of all of a sudden you just, you magically get a vaccine and now the violence goes back into a box. It's not going to work that way. Right. And I overheard, I'm not sure if it was on the TV or the radio that um, domestic violence was going up because of COVID. Yes, absolutely. Um, Domestic violence deaths have surged 180% here in Phoenix this year. Homicides have increased 25%. I'm sorry, 44%. They increased 25% over the summer. Last week, we were told by our police that they've surged now 44%. And um, and our gang violence has tripled because the gang looks at social isolation as a business opportunity. You have a lot of kids that are in vulnerable families and vulnerable households. They might be a single parent household um, and they aren't going to school. Their community centers aren't open. Um, they ha- their parents are struggling financially. Um, they may have lost their job or whatnot. And so the gangs come in and say, hey, we can give you parties. We can give you financial opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll give you a family to associate with. And so the gangs have, uh, have not taken a break. They are not socially distant from anyone. And um, it's creating a huge problem with crime in Phoenix. I know one of your focus points um, for being a mayor is to be um, is to provide more safety for, for the city of Phoenix. Yeah, absolutely. how do you plan on doing that? So we one we have an economic crisis. We have a public 
health crisis and we have a public safety crisis. And all of those things go hand in hand together. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we need to do is address the public safety issue. We've had a mayor that's tried to defund our police through backroom door deals. Um, She's bringing Denver's model, which basically self-destructs your police department here and uh, wants to pay anti-police activists $3 million a year of tax dollars um, to basically usher in a process that eliminates due process and just really destabilizes public safety. Um, The way the model will work is uh, essentially, if you are, if I'm in that scenario where I'm fleeing domestic violence, um, my abuser can go and complain to this committee and say the police were mean to him when uh, they rescued my life. And so, as you can imagine, this isn't good for victims. This no. is not good for the police. It's not good for public safety. So we need to take a stand as a community and say that we want safe neighborhoods here in Phoenix. And so mm-hmm. I will bring together our community of faith. Um, Mm -hmm. Our leaders, our our leaders that have led on criminal justice reform and community policing um, and our and our police officers themselves and just bring everyone to the table. And we're going to take a stand against violence and say violence is not permitted in our city. And you will be held accountable if you're violent towards others. Um, And so that's the first step. The next thing we need to do is provide stability for our business community. And that means getting those standards out there for them to know exactly how to stay safe from coronavirus, how to keep their customers safe, the public safe, um, and be able to move forward with a predictable, stable business environment. Um, That's so important to make our community safe because when you destabilize the economy, that's when violent crime increases. Mm -hmm. And so those two issues go hand in hand. Um, but we can bring everyone together and solve this and outserve and out innovate the crises we face. I like when you said that you were going to unite the uh, community of faith. How are you going to do that? That's the first time I've ever heard somebody do that. Even a political figure, a political well, leader do that. I, I mean, there's common thing, themes among all of the community of faiths, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we all have a, the, the one theme that we all have is mm-hmm. that it's about um, whatever, whoever you recognize as your God, having a spiritual path in that, mm-hmm. but loving each other, loving mm-hmm. each other as neighbors. And mm-hmm. so I think that we can unify sure. under those common principles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, regardless of anyone's ideology, that love for one another um, that's something that Jesus taught is to put God first and, mm-hmm. and love your neighbor as yourself. Exactly. Well, that requires one loving yourself. And so exactly. no one's going to be non-essential anymore because we're all essential. Um, we're especially all essential in God's eyes. And, um, and so we're going to start with that theme of, of loving ourselves, loving our neighbors, bringing the community together unified. I believe that we all want the same things. We want to have safe communities. We want to have economic opportunity. We want to have religious freedom. Um, and, and so that's, that's a way to unite the community together. That's great to hear, Marissa. Have you always been interested in politics or did God unexpectedly put this interest in your heart later in your life? So I used to think that I wasn't always interested in politics, but my first career was actually as a journalist. Mm -hmm. And I went back and read some of those articles that I wrote when I was um, in, it was actually while I was in high school, Um, we had local journalists that started a club with the newspaper. It wasn't a high school club, it was an actual club with the newspaper. And so I was accepted into that program. And um, then the newspaper hired me and they didn't tell me, but they put my stories in competing against all of the well-seasoned professional journalists and I won. 
Wow. Many competitions. And so it was very exciting. And so I went back and read some of those articles um, probably a year or two ago. And um, I have always actually been passionate um, <laughs> about, about the way our government is run. It's not really about politics. It's about how people are treated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always um, had a strong desire to advocate for those that are disadvantaged, Mm -hmm. to advocate for those that are being taken advantage of, to give a voice to those that don't have one or don't know how to have one. Right. That's really good to hear. That's also the first time I've ever heard somebody respond that way. It's not about politics, but about the people, about how they're treated Yes, and being a voice for them. Yes, absolutely. I mean... Every single dollar that goes, uh, that is taken by taxes, mm-hmm. because that's not money that's voluntarily given. It's, um, it's by definition, technically theft. And, mm-hmm. and so that means that we need to be absolutely responsible and accountable and make sure every single dollar is going back to me, to, uh, benefiting our society as a whole and back to uplifting our community. And so if there's money that's being wasted, um, or, uh, you know, fraud, waste or abuse or corruption that needs to be identified. And we need to put that money to good use because otherwise that could be a dollar that, um, that a parent is, uh, investing into their child and investing into our future. And so we need to be diligent with that. That's so true. Marissa, I know you're running for election for mayor of Phoenix in Arizona. When did this come to your mind to do this, to run for um, the election to become a mayor? So I typically, the answer is um, that Dr. Kelly Ward posted on my Facebook page and asked me to run publicly. Um, But there's a little more to that story. Um, And it actually starts from a spiritual connection. Um, When I was at the Donald Trump um, event that he did, the rally he did in February in Phoenix. Um, Donald Trump Jr., who I'm a huge fan of because um, I'm very pro-liberty and he's very pro-liberty. Um, we now have the Liberty for Trump Coalition, which I'm super excited about. He said in a statement, he closed out his speech and he said, um, everyone close your eyes and think about if on November 4th it's announced that Biden won. What would you do? And he said, hold on to that thought Now open up your eyes and do that now. Mm -hmm. And the thought that came to me was you're going to run for mayor. And, and I just thought, ha ha ha, we're going to work on, on campaigns this summer. And, um, I set it aside and I was like, well, that's a big idea. So cute. And I just moved on from it. Um, but then I saw my city deteriorating, um, on Mm -hmm. March 17th, our mayor shut down the economy. Mm -hmm. She had absolutely no idea what she was doing. And I'll give her that as the benefit of the doubt, because if she knew what she was doing, then that's probably one of the most evil decisions you can make because we had, it was St. Patty's day. Restaurants had invested thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousand dollars in food for that evening for the festivities. And she shut it down with no notice. There was no place to put most of that food. Um, a lot of the food just went bad. Um, you put out we had people that were put out of work immediately. We've had so we've um, had about 30% of our restaurants have now closed down permanently. And now we have out of state interests coming in um, all excited that there's these deals on all on, on being able to open a new restaurant. Well, that was someone else's dream that got killed for that to happen. And, um, and so as I was advocating for my community, I was getting so many calls for domestic violence issues for child welfare issues 
um, parents that didn't have a way now to take care of their children and needed help. Um, it got to the point where there were too many people to help and not enough resources. And um, my boyfriend was uh, social distancing from Kansas down here. He ran for governor in Kansas. He was a very pro-liberty himself. And he said to me, you need to run for mayor. I never told him what had happened in February at all. And I told him, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You're from Kansas. And he said, no, you do. He said, you know how to fix the problems. You have too many people that are hurting right now. And your mayor is your biggest obstacle. You need to be mayor. So I mm -hmm. set it aside. And then it was a couple of months later. Um, and he kept encouraging me, encouraging me. And he was like, I think you're supposed to run for mayor. Um, and, that, and then Dr. Kelly Ward posted. And I said, and I replied back, um, with the previous candidate that had run Moses and I said Moses can run and she said no I'm talking about you and so from there it went uh, wild we had a, a lot of people in the community that saw that um, post and started calling and asking me and said are you going to run for mayor are you going to run for mayor and my background's in data management I have 19 years of experience in the supply chain food service grocery retail the financial industry um, and technology, all with a background in master data management. So I went and I dug in deep and I found a path to, to win. Um, but then we looked around and I looked, you know, the Bible talks about your three witnesses if you're making the right decision. And, um, and, we, and we got that along the way. So we found the path to win. We had the community backing us. Um, we had, uh, and then we started seeing that there was races that people said would never be won around the country that were being won outright. We had um, in a congressional race in LA County that a Republican won. We had uh, four city council seats in deep, deep blue um, Virginia that all flipped, all four flipped. And, um, and, and I, Phoenix is, our demographic is 40%. Uh, um, Republican, 60% Democrat, but I have never been looked at by the community as um, a politician or really a political figure. I've mm -hmm. been looked at as an advocate, and I've worked with all sides of the aisle, um, not just Republicans and Democrats, and so um, I have the unique ability to be able to bring everyone to the table and find something that you can celebrate in the policies that we create, a win for everyone, and um and I think that that's important, especially for a nonpartisan race for Phoenix. And so we've taken that same approach and we have rallied our community and um, we, we have the best supporters in, in the country, in my opinion. Um, every single target that we've had, every goal that we've had, we've met it and then we've doubled it. And it's just been incredible. And so we have seen along the way and, and sometimes things get hard and I'll pray about it. Mm -hmm. And um, everything that we've needed at the time that we have needed it has come in at exactly the right time. And so this has, this entire race has been an act of faith because it takes a good year to prepare to run for a mayor's race. Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the nation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we've had 17 years of progressive leadership. And so, um, but this mayor, she stood against, <laughs> against our faith community and on Easter, she um, tweeted out telling neighbors to call the police if they see Christians picnicking in the park on Easter. And I, I think that um, that was a very defining moment. Um, I think she would have been forgiven for shutting down our economy in the beginning initially. But um, then she started standing against our First Amendment rights, um, our freedom of speech, our freedom of religion. 
Um, but when the riots came to Phoenix, she was completely supportive of them and said that they just needed to be heard. And she said she would not allow the police to escalate to stop them. And so it, we saw a very hypocritical stance there. And, uh, and I think that it's been, when you have times of crisis, especially, it's your community of faith that steps up and stands in the gap and takes your neighbor's hand and says it's going to be okay and brings mm-hmm. in the resources that are needed to save the community and uplift the community. And she turned her back to that community. And I saw it at the city of Phoenix. Um, I saw it many times where there would be nonprofits that would want to come in and help our homeless. And the city would say, no, you're not part of our um, our little group. And so we don't want you helping the homeless. And they started making helping people illegal and um, with fines and penalties. And um, and it's just it's disturbing that we have people we have the biggest homeless crisis we've ever faced as a city, the highest increase ever, 17 percent year over year. It's been a 207% increase since 2014. And we have um, all of these community members and all of these church organizations that say, let us help. Let us help save people. Let us help get people off the street. Let us help restore lives. And the city stands in the way of that. And, and that's just absolutely immoral. I agree. I so agree. I'm just, I'm just shocked with the news and the information that you've, you've given me. And I can see clearly that the Lord has been preparing you for this position and placing everything on your lap and sending the right people to you to make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, um, it's been amazing. It's been really one miracle after another. I mean, the combination of my um, business experience, for example, um, I would lead national committees to create our data standards that impact food safety and impact and, and as an extension public health. And and I navigated through um, SARS and H1N1 side by side with my um, quality assurance director. Um, and as an industry, we innovated out of those crises. And and the thing I think that's the biggest loss that we've had with um, the coronavirus pandemic is that we stopped that innovation. Our cities literally said, no, you have to shut down. You are not allowed to innovate out of it. We're not going to let you bring uh, models, new models to be able to keep your community safe. You're going to stay closed until we tell you otherwise. And then as we had businesses that would step up like Mountainside Fitness, for example, um, or you had Dream City Church where they started bringing in new innovation and new technologies that would not solve the problem, but would mitigate it certainly. Mm -hmm. And uh, the response was, we're going to start shutting you down. We're going to start stealing your licenses. Um, you know, you're, you have to answer to government, the heavy hand of government. And, um, and that's the only option that you have in front of you. And so all of that innovation, all that opportunity, um, that's needed, not just for this virus, but to be able to be better prepared for the next one, we've lost all of that. And I just think, uh, it was a terrible approach that we took. I think that we should have trusted our people, trusted our businesses, and instead, government play the role of educating on the risks that we face and how to mitigate against those risks and empower our community mm-hmm. to find better solutions, smarter solutions, so that we're not leaving so many people vulnerable long term to the disaster um, of shutting everything down. And, um, you know, we've had the thing that's been more, so devastating to me is we've had people that have overcome substance abuse for decades now that are falling back into it, that are struggling. 
Um, we have families that have just become, their homes have become powder kegs of frustration. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's a devastating circumstance to put your community in. And um, our mayor currently has an ad out where she's bragging about saving all the city of Phoenix essential jobs. And, um, and I'm glad that we saved those jobs. But we should have never called anyone else non-essential. Every business, every job, every person is essential. Is essential, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's and it's disgusting to put that message out, mm-hmm. um, especially after we've done so much work against anti-bullying campaigns. Um, you know, we've had the struggle with the relationship between the police and the community. And so you're going to say, well, police, your new priorities are um, arresting Christians in the park that are celebrating with their own families outside um, on Easter. And then also you're going to now be the, the nanny mask or the, ma- the mask nannies. And um, we're going to have instead of you saving those victims of violence, we're going to have your time stretched to have, with having to get complaints of people not wearing masks properly. It's just absolutely atrocious. Um, our priorities are, are all over the place. Um, and those that need the, the most help aren't getting the help that they need. And we're celebrating mediocrity. We're celebrating failure. And uh, that's just not the American way. Right. And it's becoming more about politics than people. Absolutely. Right. As you were mentioning earlier, Marissa, I read on your uh, website that you have lived in Phoenix for nearly 20 years. You are a business professional for over 19 years of leadership experience in the supply chain, food service, retail, grocery and technology industries. Also, for over a decade, you have focused on helping girls in crisis pregnancies, women and their children in domestic violence. And I know you mentioned that earlier and helping those experiencing homelessness find permanency. Which, or please share some recent experiences or testimonies about your work with helping girls in crisis pregnancies and women and their children in domestic violence situations. Sure. So I started working with um, a woman named Debbie Vandenboom, who um, runs an organization called New Beginnings Crisis Pregnancies that's uh, at Dream City Church. And I started working with her a little over a decade ago. And um, and prior to that, I was working with a team of, of women from all over the country. Um, we were just all our own volunteers. We managed a pro-life Facebook page. And we would get requests in of, a, of a girl that was in a crisis pregnancy and didn't have the, the supplies that she needed to be able to, or, or housing or food or anything to be able to support her and being able to um, keep her baby. And so we would, we kind of started this like action team where we'd get resources from all over the country to support these girls that were in crisis. And we got it to the point where in almost 24 hours, we would be able to get a woman housed, uh, get her with everything that she needed for when her baby's born, um, and get her with some sustainable way of being able to, uh, live in a healthy environment um, so that when her baby's when her baby's born that she'll be able to focus on being a good mom and mm-hmm. not be uh, worried about her struggle um, in taking care of the baby and so it was such a beautiful experience and that led me down the path of all these other issues um, that led me uh, to the issue of sex trafficking there was a girl that we rescued and she was pregnant by rape from sex trafficking and um, and I saw the trauma that goes along with that and how mm-hmm. horrifying um, that entire industry yes. is to children, especially because she was a young girl. Um, and 
but she recognized the life within her and did not want to have she she said to me I didn't want to create another victim and I thought that there was hope Mm -hmm. um through this and so I wanted to step up and do whatever I could to um have that hope and um she's now in Texas she's uh married Mm -hmm. she has um just amazing children and I'm so proud of her and um I was introduced also to a mom that was in a domestic violence situation she had three young children the youngest being six months old and the oldest being nine at the time and she had no place to go um, all of her kids had special health needs, special education needs. And so it was Thanksgiving and I had, um, I had recently overcome domestic violence and I had been praying because I was, I was so lonely and I was afraid I was going to go back to my abuser. And mm-hmm. so I had prayed for God to give me a purpose. Um, and then this beautiful family came into my life. And mm-hmm. so they stayed with me for four and a half years and I co-parented the kids and we were able to help stabilize the family um, help the kids uh, thrive and uh, and and overcome a lot of the health issues that they had and and um, just very beautiful experiences um, through the pandemic. I took in a young man that was in his uh, early um, early twenties and um, he had just moved here and lost everything and he was literally sleeping in the parking lot of a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And someone in, reached out to me and they couldn't find a home for him to stay. He just needed some help to get onto his feet. And so I, I brought him to my house and we had a, we had a, first had a lunch conversation and I saw that he had a lot of potential and he wanted to succeed and achieve. And so I brought him to my house. We helped him with a plan of being able to become a small business owner. And he was um, in, a, in a short amount of time, less than a year, be able to get back on his feet. And I'm so proud of him. Wow. And um, and even now through the campaign, we met someone at a Dream City Church. And she's a single mom, four kids, um, lost her job, lost everything. She had a place to stay for a couple of weeks, but she needed a home. And she came up to me and she said, I want to work for you. I need a job. And I was, I was blown away. No one had ever been that bold to me. And she was bright and cheerful. And, and I said, okay, well, here's my information. Let's talk. And she's so talented. She's such a good communicator. She's such a good advocate. She loves mm-hmm. people. And, um, and, and we were able to um, work well together. And now she is uh, stabilized in a home with her children. She just moved in today. And I'm so mm-hmm. proud of her. She's such a hard worker and her, she has a beautiful mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's by taking these circumstances and finding ways to help and serve through it. Um, every opportunity is an opportunity to serve. And you just need to be open for those experiences and miracles to happen. Exactly. Have you ever witnessed to any women or men um, at your workplace? Um, so the workplace is a little bit of a challenging situation. Um, I try to approach it because we have such a politically correct environment now. Mm-hmm. I try to approach, approach it from more of a place of positivity. And when someone opens up to me about their mm-hmm. faith or their lack of or a terrible situation that they're facing, um, then that opens the door. It's like as if they're giving permission or consent to have that conversation. Um, but I think that the most important thing that I can do is be a good example. And an example of that is when I was going through domestic violence and I had already, you know, I, I had a troubled childhood and I had one unhealthy relationship after another. And I, I didn't even know how to recognize a healthy relationship, to be quite honest with you. 
but I had made progress along the way. And, um, and I went to counseling and I would, and I would strengthen myself and I, and I had a good career, but at work, no one had any idea of what was going on. But I made a decision in that last bad relationship um, that I was going, that I was not going to let my joy be stolen. There's a mm-hmm. book called Satan Can't Steal Your Joy. And, and I first wanted to dismiss it like, oh, that's a cute, that's a cute book. That's a cute <laughs> stuff. But I made a decision that I was not going to let my joy be stolen. Um, and that came from a different book. That came from a book about um, the seven habits of highly successful people. And there's a story in there of someone that survived the Holocaust and he was actually experimented on. And they would do medical, horrible, horrible medical experiments. And he said, you know, I realize that the difference between animals and humans is the fact that we have the choice to respond. And, and that inspired me. And I said, you know what? If he refused to allow the Nazis to steal his joy in such mm-hmm. a horrifying circumstance, um, in, my, in my circumstance, which is difficult, but not like what he was going through, then I surely can have... That make that decision to not let my joy be stolen because that's a choice exactly. that is in my power. And, um, and from then on that, there was many difficult times. There was painful times. There was incredibly horrifying situations. Um, but I carried through with my faith and with my joy and I led through that and I would make decisions that were positive for the long term for me and have the courage to flee um, the negativity and flee the bad situations. Amen. This is Marina Maria from Faith City Outreach, and I am with today's special guest, Marissa Hamilton, a nonpartisan candidate mayor of Phoenix from Phoenix, Arizona. Marissa is running for election for mayor of Phoenix in Arizona. She is on the ballot in general election on November 3rd, 2020. She is sharing her testimony right now and about how the Lord led her to politics. Marissa, what area in the political leadership role as a mayor do you find the most interesting and why? So it's actually a role I think that our mayors have not played, but they should be in my opinion. Um, I am excited to be able to be an advocate for my whole city. And so I think that where we find um, the solutions, especially in our communities that are facing so much violence right now, um, they're broken communities in a way. They're communities that have been hit very hard and they need some love Mm-hmm. And they need um, some. They they need those in the community to stand up and stand side by side with them and say, "We're not going to let you fall." I think mm-hmm. that's a role that the mayor can play. Um, I think the mayor can um, hear these communities, hear the challenges they face, um, hear the struggles that they have, and find a way that we can work together in bringing our nonprofit communities together, our communities of faith, and and say, "We're not going to let our city fall." And that's a role that our mayors have not played in the past. Our mayors pretty much play this political figurehead that wheels and deals with big corporations. And that's a role that needs to be played to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, we, actu- we absolutely need to have that, have that role. But I think where, the, where I will make the biggest impact as mayor is uplifting these communities that are struggling right now. Um, mm-hmm. 
we we don't need to keep having homelessness increase to the point that we see in San Francisco. And right now, our mayor has promised that she's bringing San Francisco's policies here, and that's a really bad uh, bad decision to make. We should not radicalize on failed policies. That's going to cause Phoenix to fail more quickly. And so I want to get into the to the core, the root core of these challenging situations that we have. Make sure we have an open door for economic opportunity for everyone. We don't have that today. Um, I just came from a small business, a minority small business community forum. And um, one of the gentlemen said, he was a union leader, and he said, Marissa, what are you going to do for our community? And I said, I'm going to give you a front door. That's what I'm going to do for your community. And his eyes just lit up because no one had ever said that. Mm-hmm. No one recognized that that's the major part of the problem is they don't have a front door. There's uh, this big, they have to have this big, huge ladder just to get to the front door. And that ladder is unaccessible for many in the community. Mm-hmm. And so that we have to break down those barriers. America was supposed to be the land of the free, where we have equal opportunity, equal economic opportunity, not necessarily equal outcomes, but equal opportunity to that front door. And that's where I think Phoenix can become the most innovative city in America, where we create that front door that's open for everyone. What are the challenges in politics and what do you do to resolve them? I think that the biggest challenge in politics is building consensus. Um, you're going to have people that are never going to be on board. They view you as your as uh, their enemy. I try to um, work through and find as many people as I can to build a bridge with. Um, and I think, and I'm typically successful at getting 90% of those bridges built, but there's always that one or two outliers that, um, and they will lie, steal, whatever it takes to try to defeat you. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you are pure of heart and you have, uh, and especially if you have looked at the data and you and you have a, um, a direct path of what you need to pursue, you can find the right people to partner with and, get, and make it happen and have a positive win-win outcome. And what I try to do is even those that are against me, even those that consider themselves as my enemy, which I just, I frankly don't think that they are. Um, I think that we have a lot of common ground. Um, I'm usually able to find something that is able to show them that, no, there's a silver lining here for you. There's a positive outcome. Um, the only challenge that I face is when it's someone has really bad intentions and they just want power, they want corruption, um, and they want to basically lie, steal, and destroy. Um, in that situation, I will make sure you don't succeed. I will protect our people. I will make sure our city has a positive outcome and moves forward. Um, and that there's basically no enemy that prospers against our city. Have you ever partnered with somebody who at first didn't want to partner with you or work with you, and then later on you found out that it was a very positive uh, relationship or working relationship too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the business world, I was having to bring my competitors together and on board with the programs that we were working on. And so you want to talk about having someone that's not on your side. Um, Mm -hmm. I had to help all of my biggest competition to put their guard down and say, look, this is best for our entire country. And we either do this now or the government's going to come in and screw it all up, to be quite honest. And so, and and I was like, we need to come together because we are going to be the best at solving the challenges that we face from a food safety perspective um, and being able to um, have our customers have the information they need to keep their customers healthy when it comes to the food industry and the supply chain. And the thing about the supply chain is you don't have an option to fail. 
Um, it's truly failure is not an option. If you fail, people are not getting food. People are not getting the supplies that they need to survive. You must have the supply chain functioning and it needs to function well and efficiently. And part of the reason why the United States is so successful is because we have become the economic geniuses when it comes to having the most innovative streamlined supply chain. And we've really exported that around the world. And that is what has given other countries economic growth. And, um, and so in that, I take those same experiences when I'm working at the city. Um, I think that there are definitely powers at that be that are not on my side, um, especially in a lot of the work that I've done um, in fighting our, some of the bad things in our child welfare system. Um, in working with a lot of the legislators, I found that there were some other interests that were at hand. Um, but if I'm able to find out what it is that they're trying to accomplish, I can usually set those barriers aside and find a way to work together, at least on the small scope of what we agree on. What is your favorite scripture in the Bible that has helped you in challenging times? So, um, I thought about this question a lot and the theme of the theme of our campaign has actually um, come from the story of going after the promised land. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure I have the right, yeah, numbers 13 and 14. And so in this scenario, um, you have God's people that have been given this promise and they're looking at this amazing land and, um, and they've just come from slavery and they're looking at front of it and they're, the reports are, well, there's giants in the land. And you have two groups of people. You have one group of people of faith that say, yeah, there's giants in the land. Let's go take that land. This is our promised land. Look at what those giants are doing to other people. They're hurting other people. We are better leaders for this land than the giants. We need to take the land. And then you have other, and then you have other people that are like, no, we would have been better off with slavery. We need to go back. And, and from that um, step of not walking out in faith, they ended up being in isolation for 40 years. And um, the first church service I went to after uh, deciding to run, this is the story that's being presented at church. (laughs) It was just like confirmation, right? Thanks, God, (laughs) for setting out the plan. And it was and the pastor literally said it was uh, Lisa Schneckschneider Ministries. And she said, there are giants in the land. We will take the land. And, um, and that's exactly what we faced with this campaign. You know, from the beginning, I was told, you're never going to get the signatures. It's too big of an issue. Um, it's, you have to get 1,500 signatures. They all have to be perfect. It's never going to happen. You need $20,000 just for that, and you have $0. Or, um, and we ended up doubling the signatures and getting 500 more than the mayor during her pandemic. Um, we had, we were told you're never going to raise money. It's a pandemic. No one's going to raise, no one's going to give you any money. You haven't been on the council before. We outraised the last Republican race, um, almost a month ago. Now, um, we, we outraised them in two months and two days of what they raised in an entire year. And we did it during a pandemic. Um, and now we, wow. yeah. And now we are, um, far exceeding. I think we've doubled what I was told would be a really good, strong number for us. Um, and, and even with volunteers, um, we've more than, we have over 200 volunteers at every step of the way. We have just broken through every negative statement that was made against us. And then we would double it. And so I, and I look at the decision that city of Phoenix has to make that our voters have to make is that, um, that we have a promised land in front of us. Phoenix has the opportunity to become the most innovative city in America. 
the cities all along the West Coast have all failed. And we need a city to, sta- to step up to become the manufacturing hub for, um, for America, to become the innovation hub for America, um, and especially when it comes to education. Um, everything has changed. The way we do business has changed. The way we approach education has changed. Nothing is going to likely go back to the way it was as much as mm-hmm. many of us would want to. Um, and so we have two, cho- we, we basically have three choices in front of us, just like in those scriptures. Um, you can go back to um, economic slavery of having the government be able to lock you down whenever you want to be locked, whenever they say that it's time to lock down. Um, we have the choice of being in this social isolation till 2022, like Dr. Fauci said, or we have the third opportunity of the promised land. We were promised Jetsons when I was a kid for 2020. We're not even close to Jetsons, but I believe that we can out-innovate and out-serve the crises we face today, but it's going to take every single one of us stepping up with the gifts that we have been given and, um, and saying, we want to make a difference. We want to save our city. And, and so that's the vision that has been put before me for Phoenix. And I believe that we're going to choose that vision and we're going to achieve that vision. Amen. Do you have someone in your life that you go to to receive godly counsel before making important political decisions? Um, I have many people that I go to for counsel. Okay, great. Um, it, it depends on what the topic is and what their strength is and what, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I have prayer warriors that pray for me, um, awesome. at the Capitol every weekend, um, every Sunday I have prayer warriors that are praying for me at their church. Um, mm-hmm. and I have people that I, pastors that I can call for counsel on, on, uh, difficult circumstances. Um, we recently had a difficult circumstance that we had to make a decision over. And, um, and I called Debbie Vandenboom from uh, crisis pregnancy ministries. Her and I have a very similar view of faith in God and, and the Holy spirit. And, um, and I told her the circumstance and we prayed and we walked out in faith and it was the right decision to make. And I've just, I've seen that this campaign is more than a campaign. It always was bigger than a campaign. It was always bigger than me or politics or any of that. This was about saving our city mm-hmm. now and into the future. And and so those are every decision we've made, we've made it with the understanding that if we fail, there's a big price to pay. And and we've made it with the with the understanding that we must win. We must seize the land. It's our land. This these are our people and we can't let our city fall. Amen. Some of us do not know or understand politics very well, Marissa. So what is something that you would like the public to know about the leadership role as a mayor? So the traditional leadership role as a mayor for the city of Phoenix is that it's a weak, it's a weak mayor position. And so the position of mayor is really to just be the figurehead. Um, The mayor determines the agenda for the city council meetings and runs the city council meetings. They basically act uh, act as a chair of the meeting. And so they wield a lot of power from that perspective. But they they are the tiebreaker vote, and it's really the city council that leads the city primarily along with the city manager. And so I think some people think that the mayor, um, especially since they saw the mayor shut down our whole city, um, that the mayor is uh, has the power, like the be all end all power in the city of Phoenix, and it's just and it's not true. Mm-hmm. But but what I see is that there's an opportunity for the mayor to play the role of bringing our city together, and we haven't experienced that before. We've seen the mayor uh, 
you know, have their agenda and kind of shove that agenda down the throats of the city, regardless of what the different communities felt. Like we've seen that in South Phoenix with the Chinese Cultural Center. Um, but my approach is different. I, I take a very different approach to leadership. I look at the mayor as um, as someone that can be a uniter and not just a mere figurehead, but someone that can really bring the city together and solve problems um, and empower our communities. There are things that government is not supposed to be responsible for, but the mayor can still play a role in encouraging um, those activities to happen with our nonprofit or our private business sector um, and not having the city uh, dictate it, but just encouraging for it to happen so that we can solve problems. I read from your website that your childhood hero was Elizabeth Statton, and you rallied your eighth grade class to induct her into the Great Women Hall of Fame. Why yes. did you look up to her, and do you still look up to her today? I do. Elizabeth Cady Stanton is a phenomenal woman. Um, she, there's a lot in history that is overlooked um, because we've had the feminist movement take over, mm-hmm. but this was pre-feminist movement. And so this was the suffragist movement. And mm-hmm. so for those that don't know history, mm-hmm. when America first started, landowners had to write, had the right, right to vote. And sometimes that would be women. And um, as women became a stronger voice against slavery, um, what's basically the Democratic Party was formed to, and then the first thing they did was restrict women's ability to vote mm-hmm. and took away our political voice. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton stood up and said she was one, she was a strong abolitionist, which I just, she's my hero for that. But in addition to that, um, she then fought for all women and to say that um, women should absolutely be equal in society. They should have equal opportunity and they should have the right to vote. And she stood strong on that. Mm -hmm. And And I just think that she was such a good example of being a woman of strength and um and leading her community um for freedom and for and and for and to victory and and she did it with class and grace and um she took some risks um but she's i'm just she's uh basically has been my childhood hero and she remains someone that i look as um i want to achieve the um the great difference she made for us um and and achieve some way to uh equal strive to to be as great as she was your website also mentions on the centennial anniversary of the 19th amendment that your goal is to honor the legacy of suffragists and also the women of courage that inspire you daily please give some names of these women and how will you honor them um I don't have specific names necessarily because that's one thing I'm really bad at but there's so many women that we've had in history that have stood up and Um, And there was, to an extent, a glass ceiling that needed to be broken. And I still see it even now in the business world. Um, Mm -hmm. There are still some areas where it's not necessarily that a woman can't achieve it because we've proven that women can achieve everything. Um, You have the opportunity as a matter of pushing through it. But you can look at um, our Senator Martha McSally. And she was really able to open the door for women in, in the military, in the Air Force. She was the first um, com- combat air air force pilot. And, um, and, and so it's women of courage that stood out and said, um, this isn't right and we need to make a change. Um, I would like to see that, especially um, when it comes to our child welfare system. We have a lot of horrible abuses that are happening, and that has inspired me to take a stand against that. Um, sometimes in an unpopular way, 
Um, but we've made changes. We've protected kids. We've saved lives. And that's what matters at the end of the day. Um, and then also globally, we have so many countries around the world that women still don't have equal rights. Um, we are blessed in America that we have broken through those barriers, but mm -hmm. it's not the same in the rest of the world. And so I would really like to see our country take a lead in that. And I think that what President Trump is doing, especially in the Middle East and with Israel, because um, Israel has been a strong advocate for um, women to have equal economic opportunities. And so I, I am hopeful that through the work he's doing in the Middle East now, that we are able to have these other countries um, open the door to, to women to have equal education opportunities, to have the ability to drive for goodness sakes, um, to be able to be out by themselves. And I understand that there's a cultural shift that needs to be made because it's not safe for women in many of those countries to be out by themselves. Um, but gradually, we need, to, we need to progress in those areas. And I am hopeful that we have the right leadership in place now to make that happen. Do you think God is um, raising up a lot of women to step up into leadership positions as yourself? Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You can see it around the nation. I mean, it was women that stood up, especially, you know, one of the, there's two groups, three groups maybe that I have a lot of empathy for right now. Um, we have our, our autistic community. Um, that's a very difficult scenario for you to be able to wear a mask and there's a lot of bullying around it. And so now we have our artistic community not allowed to fly on planes anymore to, to see their loved ones. And that's put a lot of parents in a, in a tense situation. Um, we have our deaf community where they've been isolated from the rest of us because they can't see our, mm. our lips moving anymore. Um, but you also have victims and survivors of domestic violence. I can tell you that, um, Although I absolutely support everyone's medical freedom, um, and I'm I'm essentially neutral on masks. I think people should make the medical decisions that are right for them between them and their doctors. Um, I can tell you, I've heard from many women, and I experience it a little bit myself that having that part of your face and part of your body restricted um, is is something that some women struggle with um, from a um, from a position of past PTSD or past negative experiences. It's difficult. Um, it is hard, and you can see women struggling with it, and I don't think it's fair to put victims of abuse in that scenario. Um, and, and so I think that we have been called to stand up for even something so small as that because when you see someone that is struggling and someone doesn't have a voice, mm -hmm. then we as women, um, it is innately ingrained in us to stand up and say, that's not right. Mm -hmm. We need to care about that person. That person matters. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and everyone matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we are seeing today. I mean, you look at Governor Christy Noem, and she said, absolutely, we are going to stand for freedom, and we are going to out-innovate the crisis that we face. And we are going to trust people to be adults and be responsible. And, um, and, and so I think that she's someone that we can look to as, as an example of that. Amen. Thank you so much, Marissa, for being on Faith City Outreach to exalt the Lord through your testimony. And um, it's clearly obvious that the Lord is just placing this position in your lap. He's bringing the people. He's bringing the resources. He's bringing um, everything just into place. And um, I just I just can't wait to hear that you are the mayor. Absolutely. Thank You're bringing you so much. such innovation and also bringing back God into into the city yeah absolutely we um we should have never allowed for our government to 
um, push people of faith out of the conversation or shamed people of faith. Mm -hmm. And um, it's about everyone coming together. That's how we're going to solve these problems. And I'm really excited that the community has so much faith in me um, as uh, as the future mayor to be able to play that role. And um, and I'm excited for saving our city. And I'm excited for you, too. It's so nice to meet a woman in a leadership, political leadership role that can um, that sees things that way, that sees things in a moral way, in a biblical way, to unite everyone and respect everyone and to love each other as themselves, as the Bible says. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Faith City Outreach can be heard daily, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Arizona time and 7 p.m. Eastern time. Faith City Outreach thanks Global Women Christian Chamber of Commerce Embassy and Four Winds Ministries for being supporters. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You have been listening to Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria as she interviews Christian pastors and leaders to discuss scriptures and topics affecting the Christian community and to pray for the nations. If you need to contact Marina Maria, please email her at fcoprogram at gmail.com. That email again is fcoprogram at gmail.com. Until next time, Marina wants to remind you from Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The music used in this broadcast is used courtesy of zapswat.com.